It's Friday night, and we are back in action with another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast. Here with you live is your host, Larry K. On a Friday night at 8.30, a little bit past p.m., I'm looking out at the Newark skyline, the New York City skyline, lit aglow. Spring is in the air. It's a little bit cold, but it's a little bit warm, isn't it? It's right in that middle. In like a lion, out like a lamb, and we are right in the transitionary period of those two mammal species, aren't we? Guys, I have some good self-control because I'll tell you the truth. Today was the Newark St. Paddy's Day Parade. So all my friends are out there texting me like, where you at? We're here. We're there. We're at McGovern's. We're at Kilkenny's. Aren't you coming out? Aren't you drinking this and that? But because I'm so dedicated to my extracurricular activities and because I take what some would call a hobby so seriously... I couldn't get swayed and get knocked off track and not show up for the Logic and Larry podcast at its normally scheduled time on Friday night at 8.30. So despite the fact that Rutgers lost today to Iowa, listen, Big Ten refs, I don't want to go into it, but uh, they have some serious, serious issues. Despite the fact that Rutgers is now like a 50-50 for the NCAA tournament, and I'm a little bit annoyed, I'm a little bit depressed, despite the fact I had a long, long week and I have uh, two projects, one for work and one after work project that are due by next Saturday, and a lot is going on despite all of that. I wanted to make sure that I was here for tonight's show because there's so much going on. And we really need to discuss all the things that are going on in this world today, don't we? I got a nice playlist together for you guys. This was the playlist from last time, but I couldn't get it on last time because of the technical difficulties. But I got it on tonight, so I hope you enjoy it. Marcus Miller, much too much playing right now. And this playlist is going to go as we discuss the politics and news of the day tonight. I'll take your calls a little bit later. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys. And to Ralph, I respect that, man. I'm trying. I just grind. It's crazy. Like, whenever I leave this planet, and I'm not saying this to be morbid or to get sympathy. It's just true, right? Who knows when I leave this planet? Who knows, right? Just know whoever it is that has these recordings, whoever it is that has vibe with me, even if no one ever hears the recordings. Whoever it is who's vibing with me now, I live my life to the fullest because I was connecting with you guys and I was out there living. I was experiencing life in one of the most interesting cities in world history. I mean that New York City. And we're a little bit of an extension of New York out here in Newark and North Jersey. But I do this because I'm trying to leave my mark on existence one way or another. And all we could do as these mere mortals is to leave our existence in that way. And that's what I'm trying to do. So as you guys hopefully know, but if you don't, everything I say in this podcast is strictly my opinion as a private personal citizen. Nothing I say is the opinion of any other entity or any other person. It's all me just speaking to you in my private capacity as a private citizen, my private opinions, not in my professional capacity in any way. So let's talk about what's going on these days. First off, COVID is finally, we started this podcast during COVID. And COVID is crumbling. (laughs) 
The COVID hysteria is crumbling finally, right? New Jersey's lifting mask mandates in schools or lifting mask mandates across the, the Newark's even lifting lifting mask mandates. No mask mandates in public buildings. Courthouses, you can kind of wear your regular face and no mask. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I was in court in Hudson County today, Jersey City, and I got in the elevator and some guy looks at me like I was crazy because I had a mask on and my glasses were getting fogged. Anybody who wears glasses and also has a mask, you know how that goes. So my glasses are fogged up. I look like half a dweeb and he looks at me like I'm crazy and I see he has no mask on. I'm like, what's going on? And then I realized, shoot. You don't need a mask. And he says, yeah, you don't need a mask. So I took it off. Look, I'm vaccinated, double vaccinated, and I got the booster. So, you know, I tried to uh, live my life now. And that's a beautiful thing. In the world, COVID is finally crumbling now. And it's great for all of us. It's gone, hopefully. We never know if it's gonna another variant's going to come up or what. But we, for the most part... For the most part, guys, we're through COVID. Let's be honest. You can give us another variant and give us another vaccine to go with the variant. We're going to survive because we're pretty much done with that. Thank God I was about done. I couldn't take it anymore. We're done with that. But there's plenty of other things going on in the world today. If you were to follow my Facebook news stream, is anybody else from like a grew up in a suburban American town where people seem to be so honed in and attached to melodrama, for lack of a better term, where like they could ignore every major world event and it could go on. It could be World War Three could literally be raging outside of the borders of the United States, but they would hone in on like a reality TV drama. Do you know these people? Have you dealt with these people? Because I'm not sitting here saying that the... (laughs) And Will, you already know where I'm going, bro. You can't... You can't tell me that the gas crisis isn't real. But at the same time... (laughs) They act like... You would think the gas crisis is like 9-11... COVID-19 and the January 6th insurrection all rolled into one the way they treat this thing. It's like gas prices are the number one only thing on these people's minds whatsoever. It's insane. And and even even RK, even RK knows what I'm talking about. How does RK know the region? He must have done his research. He must have done his research. But why is it that my timeline is just completely inundated with gas prices? And like people are posting pictures of gas meters with hashtag let's go Brandon. And now I'm really confused. I'm like, what? what? Let's go Brandon. If you even ever, if you have ever quoted let's go Brandon, you're a suspect individual. Like you're a suspect human being if you quote that because it's corny as hell. Number one, just say what you feel. Say you know, say what you feel. Feel what you say. I mean, none of this. Let's go, Brandon. Nonsense. It's stupid. It's silly. It's not cool. It's not funny. It's not you know, tongue in cheek. It's not cool. It's corny. All right, just stop. And then, you know, they want to talk about gas price. Look, gas prices suck. But at the same time, bro, 
These same dudes who are like, yo, I don't care about high taxes because I'm rich. I got mad money. Why are you mad about high taxes? You can't pay them or whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. Lower taxes. Lower taxes on the wealthy. Why are you mad about lower taxes on the wealthy? Aren't you wealthy? I'm wealthy. You're wealthy. He's wealthy. She's wealthy. All of a sudden, gas prices come out, and it's like putting them under. They can't afford to live anymore, apparently. <laughs> and so the last guy who tried to come at me that way with the gas price, I was like, oh, I filled up my tank for $54. And then he posted back. He was like, this guy either has a 10-gallon tank or he had a half tank. And I was like, no, I had a like three-quarters empty tank. It was 4.15. I did the math like just to make sure I wasn't a jerk. Because you guys know me. I'm type A. I want to make sure I'm right in an argument. I do the math and I'm like, no, like it was like $54, three quarters of a tank. And if I had to fill up the whole tank, it'd be like 60 something dollars. Now, is that great? No. But is it the end of the world? No. And the guy just said like, oh, he thinks he's he's well off because he can afford gas. unlike the West rest of us. And all I did was I just dropped quotes. I just dropped quotes. I don't understand the language of people with short money. End quote, which was from Mace, Mace Harlem World album, Sursa 1996. I just posted that and then I left. I never even I never even checked back on the status. I never even checked back to what he said. And Vri, yeah, I agree with you. Like, yeah, they can go out and get $20 worth of Taco Bell, $15 worth of smokes, but they're crying about gas prices. Now, look, I'm not sitting here saying gas, gas prices aren't an issue because they are, okay? But the way that people latch on to gas prices is if that's the end of the world. Like, that's the... I'll tell you this. The only people that I've seen talk about gas prices literally at all have been Trumpies, right? I haven't seen anybody who's not a hardcore Trumpy say anything about gas prices one way or the other. Nothing. Nothing one way or the other. Unless you were a Trumpy, you haven't said anything about gas prices. Because most normal Americans know that gas prices are a headache, but so is the rest of inflation. And yeah, Alaska, it's pretty bad. Look, I'm not saying inflation is a bad. Inflation is bad right now. But I just find it intriguing how a certain segment of the population all of a sudden has gone from being, you know, infectious disease experts to gasoline uh, energy supply experts, economic experts overnight because they want to prove a point. They look silly and they're always going to look silly. Now, let's talk about inflation, though, and gas prices and things of that nature. We are obviously witnessing and enduring a period of of heavy inflation right now, right? And there's a lot of reasons why we are dealing with gas prices. And Morph points it out. U.S. oil production is pumped by private corporations, not nationalized. Yeah, I mean, this is not a... Oil in general is a myriad global market of private and public entities that are obviously, you know, uh, drilling for oil and then selling off oil. The global oil market is a complex entity, and the idea that somehow one president or one person can affect it, you know, unilaterally is obviously a huge misnomer. And look, I'm not exonerating Biden here. Let me just put it all out there first and foremost. This is me being honest. This is me showing you that I'm not just some liberal, you know, thumping the ground and being however I am. At the end of the day, yes, the the pipeline, Biden coming into office. And look, I've criticized Biden a lot over his tenure. 
And you guys who have listened to my show, you guys who follow me on Facebook, you guys who know where I'm at as a, as a centrist type person, I have criticized Biden plenty. I've criticized Biden plenty, and he deserves a lot of it. And I didn't like how Biden came right in and just immediately canceled the pipeline as if it was completely irrelevant, had no bearing on energy prices, as if he wasn't canceling people's jobs just to appeal to the left who wanted to deal with climate change. And I'm not saying that climate change is a bad concern or it's a relevant concern. I'm just saying I didn't like how Biden came in unilaterally and did that. However, while the pipeline may have supplied some level of oil to marginally affect current gas prices, people have to stop pretending (laughs) that the pipeline would have completely alleviated us of these upward price pressures on gasoline. It's it's simply a misnomer. It's not accurate. It's just not accurate, right? There are so many countries in the world exporting oil and so many factors that go into the price of oil that one pipeline, which may not even be completed by now, was not going to single-handedly thwart or Put a downward pressure on the price of gasoline, period. It just doesn't work that way. It's not how things work. The, la- the old ladies on the commercial, it's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. It's not how it works. So this idea that one president was going to single-handedly change the price of crude oil and thus change the price of your you know, gasoline at the pump is a, is a misnomer. I mean, if anybody's arguing that, you can basically – quickly identify them as somebody who doesn't really know what they're talking about. And that is what it is, right? But I do want to talk about inflation and stagflation. So we are currently in a period of inflation, right? And there's a lot of reasons why we're in a current period of inflation, right? I've, you know me, I'm a moderate bipartisan, as Will pointed out. That's who I am. So I'm going to call it as I see it. I was a little bit skeptical of the constant pumping of cash into the economy, right? You, you keep putting liquidity into the economy and giving people unfettered ability to spend without any reason to save, without any reason to hesitate. And hell, without even any reason to work in some, some instances, we have a, a lower labor market now. We have a labor crunch. You are going to have upward pressure on the dollar, right? The dollar is going to become less valuable because there's such a flood of liquidity in the economy. And it, like, people that don't understand economics are always like, why don't you just give everybody in the country $20,000? Why don't you give everybody in the country $1 million? Well, because if everybody has $1 million, then $1 million is not worth a damn thing. It might as, be war, might as well be worth $1, right? And so what do we do during the recession, which I understand why we did, not the recession, the pandemic, Why do we do it? I understand why we did it, right? Everybody was out of work. It was scary. We had all kinds of supply stoppages. We had literally a halt to the economy. And so if you have a halt to the economy, literally no activity in the economy, you have to obviously pump liquidity. You have to pump cash into the economy to stimulate fabricated consumer demand in order not to thwart the entire demand side of the economy and to not thwart the entire system that we live in right so trump and the and the congress at the time trump was in office and 
the stimulus packages under Trump and Biden. They pumped an immense amount of liquidity into the economy. And so a lot of people were spending money on leisure activities. If you were at the golf course, you know how that went. Any other place you were, you know that there was a lot of people with a lot of money to spend. And there still is a lot of people with a lot of money to spend. And there's a lot of demand for products. And now, as Neil said when he was on the show relatively recently, he said relatively recently that part of the problem, too, was that a lot of these companies that were investing in uh, capital, or when I say that, I mean like mechanisms and investments, forward-looking investments to help to facilitate exports and imports and and world commerce they didn't invest in those mechanisms that raw machinery personnel ships uh actual you know manufacture of goods actual harvesting of raw materials they didn't engage in that and in fact they cut back on that during the pandemic because the demand had decreased so now all of a sudden we've pumped all this liquid cash into the economy and the pandemic is starting to end So you see a a huge demand increase almost overnight. Consumers have the money to spend. They have the uh, prowess and the urge to spend that money to engage in activities of leisure and to buy goods that they weren't buying during the pandemic. Yet on the supply side, you have entities which have you know, rescinded their ability to export, rescinded their ability to manufacture. And so the price of an individual good or the price of an individual commodity has skyrocketed, right? And and the supply can't keep up with the demand. Therefore, prices go up and we have inflation, right? And that's a problem. Now, normally in situations such as this, the remedy for rectifying inflation is you want to de- decrease decrease liquidity in the economy, i.e. you want to decrease the cash flow. The liquid cash that's out there, you want to starve out a little bit. There's too, much, too many people with too much cash. The trade-off has always been an economic theory, right? The trade-off has always been an economic theory that if you... S- Take the cash out of the economy, i.e. if you raise interest rates. And what do I say when I mean that? So the Federal Reserve is a monetary policy body, right? And the Federal Reserve is charged with basically manipulating interest rates lower or higher to affect the amount of liquidity or i.e. cash in the economy, right? And when interest rates are low, that means that the government itself, our government, is buying bonds from the Treasury and consumers and businesses and every other entity across the nation is borrowing money because the interest rate is low, i.e. if you borrow $100, you're paying 0% interest on it. means you're not going to owe any more than you borrowed, so you're going to borrow as much as you can because you can put it out on the street, and whatever you make back, you're going to make it back enough to pay back your loan and then some, right? But if interest rates are high... That means any bit of liquid you take out and you borrow, you're going to owe a lot more interest on it. So you're careful about how much you borrow. And the United States government is careful about how many bonds they buy and how or bonds they sell and how much money they take out from the Federal Reserve and then put on the street. 
And I say street because I'm a Jersey guy, so I'm saying street. But I mean out into the economy, right? Out into the economy. So normally the Federal Reserve at this point, because there's so much cash out there, which is causing inflation because so many people have so much buying power. Normally, they would raise interest rates, raise interest rates, which would then cause people to pause with their spending. It would cause banks and other entities to pause and slow down their lending and their liquidity. And it would take some of the liquid cash out of the economy. And the less dollars that are floating around, the more each individual dollar is worth. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't even crazy to understand, but it feels like because people throw around all these terms to try to purposely confuse you, they make it more complicated than it is. It's quite simple. If there's one sacred rock in the world, that rock is worth tons of money, right? If there's a billion of that same rock, then it's not worth anything because anybody could get one, right? It's the same thing with the dollar. The more dollars there are in circulation, the less valuable each dollar is because everybody has so many. The Less dollars floating around, the more valuable each dollar is because less people have their hands on it, right? So right now, the Fed is faced with a conundrum because here's why, right? It used to be the theory that the way to stop inflation was to decrease the liquidity in the economy. The way to stop inflation was to decrease the amount of dollars floating around. That used to be the theory, right? Because the theory was premised on the idea that The reason that we had inflation at all was because there were too many dollars out there. That's why prices only went up because there were so many dollars out there that, you know, it was a high demand. But in the 1970s in the United States, there was a new phenomenon that happened. It was called stagflation. Stagflation. And stagflation was this kind of intertwined phenomenon where there was inflation, i.e. the dollar was worth less and less because there were so many dollars floating around. But at the same time, people's wages were stagnant. People's income was stagnant. Unemployment was stagnant. Unemployment was even rising. Now, it always was a theory for a century or more that the more inflation you had, the less unemployment you had because there were so many dollars floating around that there were plenty of jobs to go around and that the more dollars that were going around, the more inflation, the higher wages would get because everybody's getting paid more because the dollar's worth less and blah, 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 blah. We're kind of seeing that now, right? Everybody, there's a, there's a shortage in the labor market. There's tons of jobs to go around. The unemployment rate continues to plunge, but inflation is occurring. So even if you get a job, even if you get a lot of money, your buying power isn't that high, right? The theory was always that if you lowered the amount of dollars in the economy, you lowered the amount of inflation, but the, and unemployment would go up, right? Because the dollar's worth less. Companies want to hold on to all their dollars. They don't want to hire anybody, right? That was the traditional theory, and it makes a lot of sense in most cases. But in the 1970s, we saw something crazy happen where we had stagflation, i.e. inflation went up, the dollar was worth less, yet your wages stayed the same, and there was an increase in unemployment. Why did that happen? Well, there were a few reasons for that, right? Number one, 
was OPEC, right? There was a, a one of the theories as to why you can even have stagflation is that that the inflation is not being driven by liquidity in the economy. It's not being driven by an increased amount of circulation of dollars, but rather it's being driven by one portion of the economy, one specific sector that's outside the purview of monetary policy, which could be energy. If oil, for instance, which powers everything we do, transporting goods, fueling goods, flying goods, manufacturing plastics and goods, if oil is at a runaway price, then it really doesn't matter how many dollars are in circulation. Inflation is going to occur because prices are going to go up just because it costs much more to do anything with any good because oil so expensive that even if you start to starve the money supply, what you could do inadvertently if you start starving liquidity in the economy, even as commodity prices are soaring, you could cause people to be out of work and get less wages, yet it won't get a handle, it won't get a hold on the prices of goods and services, meaning you'll have inflation on one hand because oil is so expensive. And on the other hand, you'll have stagnation in wages leading to stagflation. That is the most disruptive, agonizing, desolate place for an economy to go is stagflation. So right now, why do I tell you about all this? Because I'm trying to talk to you about where we are right now in our current economic predicament, right? It is widely, widely expected that the Federal Reserve of the United States is going to begin a gradual increase in the interest rates over the next year. What that will do is decrease liquidity in the cash supply in the country. It will decrease liquidity, right? So there'll be less dollars circulating, so each dollar will be worth more. Every dollar you have will be worth more because there's less dollars out there. But the Federal Reserve at this juncture is facing a really, they're walking on a tightrope. They're walking on a tightrope because if they starve the economy too much of money and oil prices continue to rise, then we could encounter stagflation. But they can't let liquidity keep increasing at the rate it is where there's so much money in the economy because then inflation is going to get out of control. They have to control inflation. Now, when you go back to the 70s, the late 70s, one of the most intriguing things I ever learned, I had this brilliant professor at Rutgers, and he taught a class called Booms and Busts in American Economic History. And it was a history class, but essentially it, 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 you know, it centered on the subject of economic booms and busts, but it was a history class. And one of the things I learned in that class was that at the end of the Carter administration, Carter dealt with OPEC forming. When OPEC formed, they basically were a bunch of oil producing countries that formed together to start setting the price of oil. So that they had control over the price. And if they manipulated the price and made it high, they could really screw the Western economy. And they did. And Nixon wanted to starve inflation, but at the same time, 
keep employment and everything where it was. So he Im- implemented this system where you couldn't raise wages too high. You had a wage freeze. And you had to keep prices a certain place because he wanted to keep inflation in check. Yet he still wanted to pump the economy with money because he didn't want to hit a recession. And what had happened was it, it caused stagflation. And when Carter got into office, he was dealing with this. And then OPEC formed that really kicked Carter in the face. So Carter, he appointed this guy named Paul Volcker to be the Fed chairman. C-U-N-K-R-X-M-U. Well, hello to you, too. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. Now, the Carter administration, they came in, and he, anyway, Carter appointed Paul Volcker to be the Fed chairman. Now, Paul Volcker, just a quick aside, from Teaneck, New Jersey, by the way, from New Jersey, died at the age of 92 a couple of years ago. Great man. Volcker knew that you had to stop inflation, right? Because stagflation was out of control. The prices were out of control, not only because of the commodity of gasoline and oil, but because of the whole Nixon regime. You needed to slow that. So he raised interest rates all the way to 20%. Just to put in perspective, we're at 0% right now. Zero. He raised it to 20%. He starved the economy of liquid cash. It made it go into a recession in the late 70s. In the late 70s, we went into a recession. Went into a recession. And everybody hated Carter, of course, because it's a recession. Blame Carter. Blame whoever's in power. Just like now, we're going to blame Biden because of gas, even though there's so many outside market forces. so much more complex than that. The president has very little to do with it. But fine, blame him. Reagan gets elected in 1980. Yeah, now, now the the outside, you know, marketing aside, where he was able to market himself and get people inspired and all that, that can't be understated. But Reagan kept Volcker on. He kept Volcker on. <laughs> and Volcker continued to have high interest rates and it's continued to starve the economy until about 1983, one year before Reagan's re-election campaign. Based partly on Volcker's own prowess and theory and based partly on political pressures, Volcker eventually, once he starved inflation out, it was painful though. There was a recession. It was painful. Once he starved inflation out, He dropped the interest rates almost overnight. The result was a flood of liquidity, right? A flood of liquid cash, a flood of liquid cash right when inflation was at a low. So then the cash is worth a ton of money. Not only is the cash worth a lot, but it's flooding. So you had the 80s, the roaring 80s, where people who were doing well, people in the stock market, people in finance, people who were had the means, people who were privileged, did very, very well in that era, right? People who didn't have the means, people who weren't targeted, i.e. I survive Reaganomics, they did worse. But it got us out of that spot we were in. So now when we're talking about gas, part of the problem with the gas is part of the problem with the gas is 
We now have a an, an energy restriction because of the war in Ukraine, right? Russia is a large exporter of crude oil. The United States, and this is another thing that people don't get right, saying, oh, Trump imported less, Biden imported more. But Trump imported, Trump did his best to, to give credit to Donnie J. Trump did his best to make us energy independent, but even his best efforts didn't yield an actual, you know, tangible result that we could all aspire to because we were still importing a ton of Russian oil and a ton of other foreign oil on a daily basis and a monthly basis under Trump. And under Biden, we continue to do that. But Russia is a huge exporter of oil. So obviously, if we're going to cut off oil supplies from Russia and we're going to limit the amount of oil we are importing from Russia and and us and other countries are limiting that it's going to restrict the global supply of oil and it's going to restrict global commerce which is going to result in less oil in everybody's pump which is going to result in oil being more valuable which is going to result in oil and gasoline being more expensive per gallon right so it's kind of a trade-off. It's like, well, do we just keep importing Russian oil and just act like nothing's going on and just continue to allow unfettered trade amongst countries to keep our oil costs low, even though it would allow Russia to continue to stack money off of oil exports? The answer is no. We have to restrict oil exports from Russia to restrict their income. But in doing that, we're going to have an oil price increase because oil is a global market, right? It's not, as somebody said earlier, it's not controlled by countries. It's private industry. We can restrict exports and imports of private industry to some extent. But private industry is continuing to churn out barrels of oil, and that affects the gas price. The more, Just like the dollar, guys. This is not rocket science. The more dollars out there, the less each dollar is worth. The less dollars, the more each dollar is worth, right? So the less oil barrels out there, the more expensive each little bit of gas is. The more that's out there, well, it's not that expensive. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's less of it flowing around because we're restricting the exports from Russia. Now, here's an interesting thing. I read in The New Yorker recently. I read in The New Yorker recently that Germany, and this was a really, really interesting point. I think everybody should kind of think about this, especially if you're attuned to... Um, energy, you know, like the Green New Deal and, um, you know, green energy and climate change. Germany has really kind of gone all out on climate change legislation. And they've basically mandated that by 2030, they're going to get way below the carbon footprint that they're currently at. Right. And it's kind of interesting because it doesn't matter because while they're getting below it, China, which has a massively bigger economy, is cranking up their coal production. And I, I know I said oil production in Germany. I meant they're going to get their coal energy way below a certain threshold. Meanwhile, China's way outpacing whatever Germany could take away. So it's kind of pointless, which to credit some conservatives, they did say the the Paris Climate Accord was BS because essentially we were agreeing to things that were canceling itself out and then some with the developing world and India and China continuing to churn out carbon fuel and continuing to churn out greenhouse gases. So there's something to be said for that because when I read about Germany, it turns out that Germany not only is decreasing their coal energy, 
but also are against nuclear en- energy because they're so nervous about a nuclear meltdown. So what's the net effect of Germany doing this to try to be, quote, greener? Well, they're actually importing way more crude oil and way more natural gas from Russia because they decided to be greenhouse independent on their own. And they also rejected nuclear energy. So now they are hyper dependent on Russian imports. And it's an interesting case study, right? Because, again, as I constantly point out on this show, not everything is black and white. Not every I'd say nothing is black and white. Nothing is easy. Nothing is straight down the middle. Because when you try to be more environmentally conscious, if you don't have other countries on the same page as you, and if you wind up in a net effect importing more dirty energy, then you're having a net negative effect on the environment. We got to stop patting ourselves on the back for nonsense and start getting real. So Germany and Europe right now are hyper-dependent on Russian oil. What happens when Germany and Europe are hyper-dependent on Russian exports and then we restrict Russian exports? Well, we're not in a vacuum. We have to export more of our oil to Europe. And there's less oil floating around the world economy. Therefore, the price of gas goes up. But what do you want us to do? What do you want Uncle Joe Biden to do? What can he do? You got to restrict the exports from Russia. What can you do? Gas prices are going to go up. So stop being like a snowflake. Stop being mass hysterical. Start looking at the facts. Gas prices are going to go up. We're in that kind of environment right now in global affairs. That's life. You got to deal with that. There's not much else I can say. You got to deal with that. And quickly, when I discuss this this mass hysteria that we're going through with gas prices, with all kinds of other things, I've said a couple times this week, and I'm going to say it again just to be real, just, just to reiterate it, you know? I don't think there's any more intelligent, intricate, reflective, introspective, complicated entity in this universe than a single human being stuck in the void with himself looking into darkness and having to contemplate his own existence. I think that's probably the most advanced entity we have in existence. On the other hand, I don't think there's more any more dangerous, destructive, ignorant, blind, movingly stubborn, silly, arbitrary, absurd, entity in existence in this universe than a group of human beings not thinking than a group of human beings being a mass hysterical entity and if you see in newark new jersey over the last few weeks they revoked the licenses of two luke oil gas stations because there may be some supplies their parent company is loosely connected to a company in russia meanwhile the people who own those two luke oil gas stations are americans of i believe middle eastern descent and the individuals who work for those places are Americans 
and people of color who are now out of work because Newark wanted to make some statement against Russia by discriminating against two gas stations. Meanwhile, the United States for at least two, three more weeks continued to import massive amounts of Russian oil, which supplied any number of other gas stations in the same city owned by the same type of people, worked and staffed by the same type of people who were also being supplied by Russian gasoline, and they didn't shut them down. I read an article the other day in the New Yorker or in the New York Times where people were boycotting Russian-owned restaurants. People were boycotting people who were of Russian descent who owned businesses and putting them out of business because they thought they were in solidarity with Ukraine. You know, American, you know, middle American suburban melodrama that I just can't stomach. It makes me sick. The same type of people who don't wake up to anything until gas prices get high. Oh, my God, my gas prices. I can't drive to soccer practice. I can't do it. Oh, I'm going to boycott Luke Oil. I'm going to boycott Mama, you know, whatever's babushka's, you know. I'm going to boycott her dinner party. I'm not going to go to her restaurant. Oh, you're so tough. You're such a big shot. You're such an impactful person. No, you're not. You're a melodramatic bum. You're a bum. I'm so sick of it. You complain about nonsense that has to do with your petty, pathetic, singular life, but you make no impact at all beyond yourself. You want to make an impact in your world. You want to make an impact in your community. Go out and volunteer. Go out and spend your time contributing to civic pursuits. Go dedicate some time without being compensated and do something for the people around you. Volunteer with the youth. Volunteer for a civic institution. But you're going to sit there and post on social media and not patronize a business in your own community and you think you're making an impact? Get real and get educated. All right? I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of engaging with people on social media about nonsense they don't know anything about. Stop doing it. I'm not. I'm done engaging with people who don't know anything about what they're talking about. You want to talk to me, you call into the podcast and I'll talk to you straight up. Otherwise, sit on the sideline where you belong. All right. This this nonsense where we're punishing people because we're in this mass hysterical, whimsical state is pathetic. And it goes both ways. It goes with the people attacking gas prices and acting like they're righteous. And all of a sudden, Trump's great. And it goes on the other side of people just attacking private business owners because they have some maybe casual affiliation with Russia. It's a joke. It's not as bad, but it harkens back to the internment camps in World War II with the Japanese being put in internment camp. It's not as bad, but you're starting to single people out based on some arbitrary connection to Russia and taking their livelihood. That's dangerous. That's not American, bro. So anyway, moving off the whole commodity thing. And hey, not bad for somebody who endured a loss from his favorite college today in basketball has been crushing some, you know, steady uh, bruise all day. Not bad. Right. My economic analysis is not that bad in my current state. But so going on to this war, this Russian war and keeping up with the theme of the Trump nonsense. Right. Bolton came out today. If you don't know who Bolton is, he was Trump's former, uh, what was he, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State. He came out recently and he's been going off on Trump. And he's a hardcore, like, arch conservative, by the way. 
So the fact that he's going against Trump is like it's no small thing. It's not like he's some liberal turncoat or a rhino, as people call him. And he's just flipping on Trump for no reason. This is a guy who's a hardcore conservative with hardcore conservative values. He said two things this week that I thought were really, really national. So thank you, CLR. Bolton was Trump's national security advisor. Thank you very much. And, you know, I can't stay totally on point all the time. It's hard. But Bolton was Trump's national security advisor. So he came out this week and he essentially said two things that I thought were really, really interesting. The first thing he said was, that the reason that Russia didn't and, and a lot of us who already kind of knew have any semblance of awareness whatsoever in foreign affairs already knew this. If we're not just trying to look for a reason to pat ourselves on the back about, you know, some pompous guy in office and we actually want to look at the, the when it comes to foreign relations and international policy. Those of us who knew that knew that Trump was a weak international leader. And one of the things that Bolton said this week was the first thing he said was that Putin didn't have any reason to attack Ukraine when Trump was in office. Why? And this is Smokey Robinson, Quiet Storm in the background. I just wanted to play a little bit because such a great song. It puts me in a mood. But look. He didn't think it was necessary to attack Ukraine while Trump was in office because Trump was doing his bidding. Trump was attacking NATO through the media and in his speeches and financially every day. Trump was weakening NATO every step of the way. Trump was not a threat to Russia because Trump was allowing Russia to get one over on him all the time. And Morph, you hit the nail on the head, my bro. You hit the nail on the head. And I'm glad Morph's listening now because I know Morph really well and I'm glad he listened the first time last week. Now he's tuned in and that makes me makes me happy. But yeah, Trump was weak on NATO. I was hard, like tough on NATO. Weak on Russia. He was basically giving Putin an excuse for everything Putin did and allowing Putin to kind of do what he wanted. And Putin didn't feel threatened by NATO or the West because Trump was incredibly weak on Russia. Trump threat and the biggest, you know, kind of arm wrestle between the West and Russia. Trump was weakening NATO, undermining NATO every day. And therefore, Russia didn't feel threatened. I said this two weeks ago. Russia wasn't backed into a wall like an injured dog. Russia felt like, well, the United States is undermining NATO on their own. NATO is not going to gain any more notoriety. NATO is not going to move any further east because Trump's undermining them. For all we know, NATO is going to collapse in four years because Trump has no affinity with for NATO. Well, it should tell you something that when Joe Biden and look, I'm not sitting here saying Joe Biden, some fearless bulldog leader. But the truth is, when Biden came into office, he rebolstered his commitment to NATO. And guys, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in foreign policy, a ton that goes on behind the scenes in foreign policy. And so there's things we don't even know about, I'm sure. That were going on with NATO and with our, you know, kind of backdoor 
you know, subliminal out of the media's eye proxy wars and battles with Russia behind the scenes. And when Trump and when Biden came into office, it got to a point where Putin felt threatened enough that NATO was on his doorstep. Ukraine had a Western. This is the thing, too. Zelensky is a pro-Western president, right? If you don't understand this, go back and read about uh, the the European uprising, the Ukrainian uprising several years ago. Go read about it. 2014, I believe it was. Go read about it because Ukraine had a pro-Russian president in power. And then the Ukrainian people overthrew him because he didn't sign on to the European Union, he instead made a deal with Russia, and the Ukrainian people uprose, and then Zelensky was the result. Zelensky is a pro-Western, pro-European president. By the way, he's the same president who Trump extorted. Trump was impeached for extorting the guy that everybody's out there applauding right now, the guy who's hunkered down in a bunker, who's putting Tic Tacs out and Instagrams out, supporting the Ukrainian people, the fearless leader of the Ukrainians, the toughest nails guy that's out there with the Ukrainian people. That's the same guy. The same guy that Trump was impeached for extorting. Extorting for arms unless he investigated Hunter Biden. So, and and by the way, all BS scandals and all that aside, if anybody's out there claiming Hunter Biden had close ties to Ukraine, well, bingo. Set the light bulb off. Oh, he had close ties to Ukraine. I wonder why. Maybe Biden cares about a strong pro-Western Ukraine. Maybe the Bidens are pro-Ukraine. Maybe Russia felt really scared when Biden got in office and felt the need to attack because he was backed into a corner. So all this nonsense about Trump would have prevented this. Go out, open your head, take the brain tissue out, swap it out, give it a good cleaning and put it back in and come back to me when it's actually working properly. Do that. Do yourself a favor, huh? Do yourself a favor. I don't hear any more of that nonsense anymore. Anyway, the second thing Bolton said, I'm not I'm getting a little carried away. You know, I'm in my little, you guys know what zone, what realm I'm in right now. But the second thing that Bolton said was that Trump was planning to pull out of NATO in his second term. Now, I don't know how true that is. That's a hell of a bold move. But then again, Donnie's crazy. Donnie tried to overthrow a free election, so I don't know what he would have done. Bolton insists that Trump was going to pull out of NATO. You know how much more if Trump pulled out of NATO, Bolton would basically probably march into Poland and any other number of places out there. I mean, that's no joke. So enough with the Trump nonsense with the war. I'm not again, I'm not saying Biden's some fearless leader. He screwed up Afghanistan willingly, willfully. He missed a huge opportunity in Cuba willfully. I am not just objectively, I'm not a huge Joe Biden fan. He did help me out a little bit this week with student loans. Maybe I'll touch on if we have time, but I'm not like this huge Joe Biden advocate. I'm just saying, stop acting like Donald Trump was some like, like we're past that. The guy sucked. 
He just sucked. Whether you like him, whether you're conservative or not, you like Joe or not, doesn't matter. Trump was not <laughs> a good. It was, wasn't good. All right, it's not good. I don't know what to tell you. So, but anyway, the war. So the latest on the war is that Russia has made certain advances into Ukraine, but the fact is, all reports are, and by all accounts, Russia is struggling. Russia is struggling to make inroads into major cities of Ukraine. And I agree, CLR, CLR, you can't just vote based on party. You got to really look at whether they're competent or not, whether they really are going to do something for you. I gave up voting by party a long time ago, and I'm an unaffiliated voter. I've always been an unaffiliated voter, but I've I've even more given up on any kind of partisan, you know, affinity whatsoever as the years have gone on, because I've realized that, you know, every situation is different. Every era is different. Every region is different. Every city is different. Every geographical location, whatever it is, is different. And so I can't just constantly go with one party or the other. It has to depend on the circumstances and the candidate themselves and how that candidate plans to address those circumstances. And that's how all of us should be. Logic and Larry, you know, we preach that. That's what we're about. We're about being objective and being, you know, with what makes the most sense. And if it doesn't make the most sense, then we can't be on it. And that's it. But so Russia apparently vastly, vastly miscalculated when they were, you know, strategizing and, and, and tactically they are have been taken aback. That's what the reports are. They've advanced on Kiev, but they haven't made huge inroads in Kiev. They've surrounded another northeastern city, but they haven't actually infiltrated or penetrated that city. They are just starting to try to engage in aerial assaults on Western Ukrainian strongholds, but their, you know, penetration into Western Ukraine is non-existent. They are penetrating South Ukraine a little better, but the port areas of South Ukraine, right on the bay there, they have not had a good, you know, good go of it. They are stalled at Kiev. And in fact, the reports are they're starting to move their convoys off the main roads and into tree lines and whatnot to try to protect themselves from Ukrainian assaults. And the resolve, not only the resolve, but the tactical guerrilla warfare um, schemes that the, and I don't, I don't say schemes in a derogatory way. I say it as like a schematic, you know, tactical way. The Ukrainians have been very effective in thwarting the Russian attack. And I don't want to instill this sense of overconfidence or the sense that there's no carnage in, on the part of Ukraine. Ukraine is facing severe civilian civilian casualties, immense destruction of their homeland, immense destruction of their uh, buildings and their infrastructure. However, it should be noted that Ukraine is withstanding the barrage better than Russia anticipated and the resolve and the morale on the Russian side is nowhere near what the resolve and the morale is on the side of the Ukrainians and Russia has really ran into uh, some real trouble here and they are struggling and there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback internally externally everywhere about this because Russia's just simply the war is not going well relative to how Russia thought it was going to go. And Morph makes a good point. They thought they were going to walk into Ukraine like the U.S. did Iraq. We had a maybe a little bit of uh, pushback in Iraq, but we pretty much just walked in there. Let's be honest. Russia's not having that easy of a go at all. Not even close. Actually, 
Ukraine now. So the uh, the interesting development this week was um, Ukraine was asking for fighter jets. They actually wanted retired MiG fighter jets. And if you were a fan of Top Gun, you know what the MiGs were. There were these you know old Russian fighter jets that Poland currently has. And Ukraine wanted to get a hold of these fighter jets. And I think they should, because if you're looking at these convoys or whatever is going on, these Russian, you know, incursions into Ukraine, you're like, well, if they just had airplanes, if they just had fighter jets, they could probably blow them up pretty, you know, do some serious damage, do some serious, serious damage on these impending Russian forces. Now, I just want to pause to read from RK. He said, from the book, I Alone Can Fix It by Phil Rucker and Carol Leonig, Esper couldn't say the same about Trump. In fact, Trump had privately indicated that he would seek to withdraw from NATO and to blow up the U.S. alliance with South Korea should he win re-election. RK, thank you for that tidbit because that corroborates what I said before about what Bolton said. So apparently there's more than one source for this idea that Trump Trump was a severe isolationist. And I know a lot of people love Bernie. And I don't want to get into this like whole big thing about that. I'm not going to go on a tangent. But I, like I said, I'm not an isolationist because I think it, as great as it sounds to be an isolationist and as great as it sounds to just say we're going to withdraw globally and we're just going to protect our own turf and we're going to be America first and all that, as great as it sounds on the surface, the fact is that our way of life and the way that we are used to existing – is at constant risk because the world is volatile. The world is not going to go peaceably. The world's not going to just leave us alone because we want to just withdraw to our own borders. We are connected to the conflict because everybody's connected to everything else. It sounds like silly. It almost sounds as hippie as uh, the people that might be against war, but it's true. So you can't just fully withdraw. And when you do, you get weak. And when you get weak, it threatens your existence. It threatens your way of life. This is the world we live in. I'm not saying it's ideal, but it's true. Trump's idea of this isolationist policy wasn't going to fly. And other people on the far left share this isolationist policy, too. And I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Biden seemed to share it a little bit when he didn't take advantage of what was going on in Cuba and he ran out of Afghanistan with his tail between his legs. And I just don't rock with it. But anyway. So Russia thought it would go a lot better than it's going and it's not going well. So Ukraine wanted fighter jets, but Poland, see, so Poland wanted to give Ukraine these fighter jets. But Poland agreed to it in principle only if the United States would act as an intermediary and the United States would take the MiGs from Poland, give the MiGs to Ukraine, and then replace the Polish aircraft with brand new United States aircraft. But the United States does not want to be in direct conflict with Russia, just like Poland doesn't want it to be in direct conflict with Russia. And both countries feared that if they were the ones to directly give and directly provide Ukraine with aircrafts, that that would incur Russia's wrath. And we don't know what that means yet, right? Does that mean nuclear war? No one knows. Probably not, but we don't know. So basically, the United States scuttled that plan, which I was a little disappointed in. I heard on... Uh, WNYC, which is like a public radio station in New York City, 
that I listen to a lot on the way to and from work, which is kind of intertwined with NPR and kind of intertwined with The New Yorker. Um, They actually interviewed live on the air while I was driving home from work back to Newark. They actually uh, interviewed a member of parliament from Ukraine. And the member of parliament from Ukraine was saying, look, we are inflicting serious damage, serious damage on Russian tanks and serious damage on Russian forces with these uh, lancers that you've given us. We, we are we are shooting bazookas into them. We are the, the ammo you've given us. We are making great use of it. We are really thwarting this attack. If you would just give us these planes, we could really, you know, exert so much more damage on these people. And I understand that you guys don't want to be in direct conflict with them. I understand that. But if you just give us these weapons, a little bit of a higher gas price, a little bit of an economic price is very little to pay relative to what Ukrainians are paying in our lives. And the way Ukraine, the, the, the member of parliament framed it from Ukraine was I found very compelling. I agreed with him. He was like, look. Russia is waging war on the West, meaning this is an autocratic, tyrannical individual who, yeah, it's not the Soviet Union, but it's a different form of oppression. And they are waging war on the Western way of life, on Western civilization, the same way wars have been waged against free peoples for centuries. Don't think just because it's Ukraine that he's not attacking the United States. In fact, he's actually attacking the front line of the Western world. Ukraine is the front line of the Western world and he's attacking us. Please give us the planes because your war is our war and our war is your war. And I happen to agree with him. I hope we give him the planes. And RK made a great point. Second Putin punches the nuke, he's no longer got Chinese backing. It's not going to happen. He's right. Russia pushes one nuke. Let's be honest. I'm not trying to get crazy, but like, let's face it. Russia pushes the nuke button. There might be a chance we shoot that thing out of the sky because we have more money and we've been investing. Everybody complains about it, but we've been investing a lot of money in the military. Say that first attack doesn't go well for them. Then all of a sudden, the entire world, like Rick said, including China, is going at your throat we ain't playing plus forget all that i don't even think putin's that nuts to begin with like he's an ass for invading ukraine but is he that like does he really want world destruction is he that stupid i don't think i really don't think he is to be dead honest i don't even think trump was that stupid i really don't so ah we should probably give him the planes that's my thing so beside that, one of the things we're doing and, and a lot of what we're doing with Russia is this proxy war, this trade war, right? So today Biden announced that we are downgrading Russia's trade status. It's no longer a preferred trading entity, i.e. like it's going to be a lot harder for them to trade with us. We can impose tariffs. Other countries can impose tariffs on them. It just makes their life a lot harder in trading. We are banning and we have banned all oil imports from Russia. So get ready for our gas prices to go up more. But is it worth the price? I would argue it probably is. I don't know how for how long. And again, a lot depends on depends on our old Federal Reserve and how well we could regulate the monetary supply to thwart inflation. But um, 
we just did it, announce that this week. So um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We are continuing to ramp up uh, economic sanctions on Russia. And that's the war we're kind of fighting. That's how we're choosing to fight it. You have to figure that how long can Russia hold this out, right? They are being thwarted in the physical battlefield in Ukraine. They're not making the progress they thought they would make. Morale seems to be low amongst the soldiers. We are now like starving them economically. And now Russia's trying to counter us, by the way. They like they're investigating Meta or whatever, which is Facebook, Zuckerberg. You know what? Go ahead. Go ahead and investigate Zuckerberg. You think I care? Go do it. No one cares. And more of good point. We only import like 2% from Russia. It's not even going to kill us that bad at all anyway. It's going to kill Europe a lot more. I don't even know if Europe's going along with this. But, you know, now he's investigating Facebook. Fine. We pulled the McDonald's. Friggin' McDonald's pulled out of there. Like, eventually, it sounds silly and it sounds arbitrary, but like, take somebody's McDonald's away. Take somebody's like McDonald's away and their basic economic uh, propensities away. And Rick points it out. The oligarchs are going to get mad because they own stakes in these things. They're just pulling out left and right. That's going to kill Putin. You just got to wonder how long Putin could keep this up. You really do. You got to wonder how long he could keep this going if he's not making progress on the ground. It's one thing if he was taking Kiev tomorrow and he's making great progress. He's not making great progress. And economically, he's getting crushed. How long could this last? How long could he keep this up? I want to know. And it's just something to keep an eye on. Now, the last thing I want to touch on with this whole Russia thing and in general, kind of the last topic, which I, I, I'm disappointed I'm disappointed that this isn't getting more attention, to be quite honest with you. Disappointed this isn't getting more attention. Brittany Griner, man. Brittany Griner, man. U.S. gold medalist, WNBA player, famous American athlete. About, I would say, last month, Last month, she was held at the airport. And now she, she's at the she's in Russia. She's at the airport because she plays basketball over there. She plays overseas over there. They search her bag and they found vapes. Something here that's legal in many states. In the states, it's not legal. It's like a misdemeanor. She's found with vapes. And so, and back to the beginning of the playlist. She's found with vapes, and so she's detained. And apparently in Russia, cannabis oil, yeah, vapes, cannabis oil and vapes. Apparently, she can face up to 10 years in Russian prison for these vapes, for this cannabis oil. And what's scary is that the consulate has said that they haven't had contact with her for three weeks. They've been denied contact with Brittany Griner for three weeks. Three weeks. And they don't know where she's being held. And they don't know what's going on. 
And I, you know me, I'm objective. So at first, my first reaction was this was just retaliatory on purpose because of the sanctions and the war. But I can't reconcile the timeline just yet. I got to really sit down and figure out the timeline. Like, was she detained right on the brink of war? Was she detained after we already kind of were beefing with them behind the scenes? Was this completely unrelated? I I don't know. I don't want to make, you know, huge statements when I don't have all the information because, you know, I'm against that in general. But to think that Russia holding a U.S. gold medal athlete, an iconic athlete in this country... And not us knowing where she is or anything else is egregious. It's an affront. And this whole idea of like, yeah, she's vacationing in North Korea, it's not what happened, right? She plays basketball. She plays basketball professionally in Russia. Now, should she have it or not? I don't know, but what's the PC? What's the probable cause to just throw your bag for a vape pen in Russia? I happen to think this was on purpose. And if it's if it wasn't on purpose when they first searched her, then it's definitely on purpose the way they're treating her now. And to me, it's an affront. That's a U.S. gold medal Olympian. I'm actually annoyed that it's not getting more attention in our news media. Gas prices and crappy NBA games are getting more attention in the U.S. media than a U.S. gold medalist being detained in Russia and not having access to her consulate. That's a friggin' problem and if i was somebody who cared about i don't want to make it a whole tangent i'm not trying to do it but if i was somebody who was trying to draw attention to my academic studies or my general disposition to gender or racial or whatever biases i would call into question why we haven't had more media attention on this story When all these other silly stories are getting a ton of media buzz. Now, yeah, I get it. There's other Americans detained in Russia, too, by the way. I researched that just to make sure. There's at least two other Americans detained in Russia who are white males, and they're not getting a ton of reporting either. But they're not U.S. Olympians either. And to me, this is an outrage. This is an outrage. And we should be up in arms about this. And if Russia wants to hold on to Griner, who's an Olympic gold medalist, there should be some consequences. Because the way Russia looks going into Ukraine right now, they ain't all that anyway. They want to really play with us. They want to detain a U.S. gold medalist without given her access to the consulate without letting us know where she's at at all. They want to play games. I'm sure we could play some games too.
Because now Putin's getting cute, and I don't like it. And I want to be hammering, just get ready for my Facebook posts and my Facebook statuses and all that nonstop until we find out where Brittany Griner is at and what's going on. Because I am not going to sit around and tolerate that as if it's nothing. That pisses me off. Russian athletes can't even play under their name because they're such cheaters half the time with their steroid abuse and all the other nonsense they've been pulling. We ban a girl for testing positive for cannabis in our country, but they let a girl compete in the Winter Olympics who tests positive for performance enhancers. They're going to basically lock down one of our Olympic gold medalists, one of our iconic athletes, and not even tell us where she is? What's up, Russia? Let's talk, bro. What do you think you're doing? How about I give those fighter jets to Ukraine and watch what happens to your little convoy, bro? How about that? How about that? I'm getting tired of this Russia nonsense. And I'm, I'm most of all getting tired getting tired of the priorities in this country will ban an American who owns a Luke oil will cry about gas all day but we won't talk more about Brittany Griner we won't show more solidarity oh I put a, a Ukraine patch on my uh, Facebook profile picture but then I'm going to cry about gas Put your money where your mouth is. You live a charmed life in this country, a charmed life. Some people live in this country in such a charmed life that we could have our democracy threatened. Our democracy, a free election, could nearly be overturned by an insurrection and people could be like, well, they were just protesting. They just love America. They just love America. That's the world we're living in. Wake up. Wake up. Get real. Get real. And more if I agree with you. Stephen A. has said anything, right? Because it's not getting the headlines. So he's another one. He's another hypocrite with that. Another hypocrite. There's so many hypocrites. We're surrounded by hypocrites. This show endeavors and strives to be the anti-hypocrite. The antithesis to intellectual hypocrisy is this show. The antithesis to intellectual hypocrisy is the Logic and Larry podcast available on every major platform and live every other Friday at 8.30 p.m., by the way. And we will get our setup fixed. Trust me, we'll get our setup fixed. I'm working with several different people. I already, know, I think I already know what it is. We'll get it fixed. But I'm still chilling on this. Anyway, that's my thing about Brittany Griner, too. And it just makes me freaking mad. Yeah, and RK is so true about the Russian athlete. Yeah, her grandpa had some performance enhancers and she touched it like it's anthrax or something. Get out of here. Get out of here. Just get out of here. And we had Siren was driving while she was listening to this dope podcast on another beautiful Friday night. Empire State Building's gone dark. The city's kind of gone dark. All the lights are out. I'm still up. Still up talking to you guys. We have about another 40 minutes. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to step aside for a second. When I come back, 
I'm going to take some calls if you guys are inclined to call. No pressure to call. If not, I don't mind winding down either. I had a crazy week and I have a long week ahead of me. Tons of deadlines to meet, like I said, professionally and outside of work. I have deadlines to meet. But if you are inclined to talk, you want to talk to me about anything we've talked about tonight, I'll be back in about less than two minutes, I'd say. And I'll take your calls. So I'll be right back. And if you're going to call, start thinking about what you're going to say, because I'll take calls in a minute. Listen to the music until then. Be right back. All right, guys, I'm back. So if you're going to call, give me a call. Give me a call on the app. I'm ready for your calls. We talk about whatever you want pertaining to tonight's discussion. Yeah, it was fast, right? I don't take too long with what I got to do, you know. Told you, less than two minutes. I don't like to keep it too long. We'll keep the show flowing. And then when I've got to edit later, you know, it's easier to cut out a small dead period than a long dead period. You know. And by the way, the, the show is taken back off since the new season has has commenced. Um, plenty of downloads on the Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Audible. Uh, it's all taken off pretty well. So it's it's great to see. It's nice to see. Um and we continue to do this thing. I mean, look, this is not uh, going to make me famous tomorrow, but I think the amount of dedicated people that actually care about what's going on in the world and want to discuss what's going on in the world, uh, this is a really uh, good thing. And I think those of us dedicated, it keeps me going, right? No matter how small the community is, it keeps growing and growing. It keeps us good. And another news, Biden did, like, if you have any student loans, you should check on whether the limited waiver that Biden and the Department of Education issued uh, granted you any relief. Now, I this isn't really for people who had student loans but aren't working like this is this is um, people who got student loans. And again, I don't want to be somebody who's hypocritical. So I've always said, look, you make an investment in education. You should have a plan to pay it back and no one owes it to you. And I still agree with that. This is for people like me who we had a plan. We invested in our education with the knowledge that if we did 10 years in public service while paying, by the way, my bill is $436 a month, which is what most people's car payment is or more to pay my student loans, even with forgiveness. And I have to do 10 years of that, 120 payments to get forgiveness at the end of 10 years. Well, Biden's limited waiver enabled me, and I'll stop for a second because we've got RK calling in. RK, I invited RK here. RK. Hey. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Rick. You hear me? Goddamn echo. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> you and this echo. Okay. Can I hear you now? Yeah, I can hear you. No, now I can't hear you at all. I can hear you. Okay. Ah, I mean, bad words. <laughs> I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me still? It. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me in this smooth-ass song I got playing? Switch, want to be yeah, smooth. Smooth-ass song. But I can only hear you through my computer. I can't hear you on my phone. So weird. I don't know how this thing works, to be honest with you. I don't either. It makes me crazy. 
Listen, first of all, I got to say your, your anger to the point where you made voices was hilarious. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Secondly, as I told your father, I got permission from the wife to theoretically come out for July 4th. Oh, boy. All right. Although it may fuck up my trip to Spain, it's worth it, I think. I think it's probably worth it. I mean, we got a hell of a crew out here. A lot of people that you've you've seen and you've talked to and you've familiarized yourself with that you're going to see in the flesh. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. I agree. Plus jumpsuits and gold chains. Yeah, plenty of jumpsuits, plenty of gold chains. Yeah. Although where the so, barbecue takes place a little off the beaten path, so you wouldn't even know you're in Jersey, but you'll spend plenty of time in all the hot spots with me and these these guys. Well, you'll you'll get you'll get around, so it'll be worth it. So I was going to talk a little bit more about that book that I cited from, but I can't get near my computer to look at it. Damn, why? What? So what book was that though? That's uh, it's about Trump. It's um, it's um, from Trump officials and stuff. Hang on, let me scroll back through this because it had a second tagline. It's about to get real echoey. <laughs> Everybody, just pretend you're you dropped some hits of acid. Ooh, it's like a sci-fi. Holy crap! So the book was called. I alone can fix it. Donald J. Trump's catastrophic final year. Who wrote it? It's uh, two reporters. Um, I think I cited them. Pulitzer Prize winners Phil Rucker and Carol Leonig. Okay. So anyway, he was talking about that whole thing, and his officials were saying, "Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. This." This time, that's when Trump said, yeah, the second term, we'll do it in the second term, as far as pulling out of NATO and uh, pulling out of South Korea. That's insane. Was that because of like his – I mean, have you read the book or you just were summarizing it? No, I, was, I just read some excerpts of a story about it. Okay, because I'm curious as to like his motivations behind that, like whether that was primarily motivated by some like – grand isolationist thing or whether that was pro Putin or whether it's equivocal. Cause we don't really know. He could say it's isolationism, but he's actually pro Putin. I, I have tend to think he's got this weird affinity for Putin because he wants to be Putin. And he thinks in some twisted perverted way that like being an autocrat and, you know, if us and Putin were both controlling the Eastern and Western hemispheres as tyrants, that we would all be better off or something. That That's my yeah. job. Yeah, he just said something like that in a speech. at I don't remember which rally it was at, but he said that. He's like, you know, uh, Putin's people are afraid of him. I want, I want my staff to be like that. I want the country to be like that. He be, I believe he – and by the way, Morph just said, I think that's the book that blew up the story about Trump flushing the documents down the toilet. Could sir, be. yes, sir. Yeah, he says, so, dude – I tend to agree with with what you just said about that. I think even the insurrection shows and the the hearings on January 6th tend to show that he wanted and he was mad when people weren't afraid of him and didn't just do his bidding. It seems like he really did crave that. Now, whether that's – see, to me, some people have this grandiose vision of Trump, whether they hate him or love him, like he's uh, some calculated, you know – 
scheming tyrant with some broad-based political philosophy, bro. I just think he's a typical American man who, like, guzzles crappy beer and talks shit all day. And, like, that's why they love him so much because I don't think he has, like, a grand political philosophy. He just says, like, well, good leaders have men bow down to them. Like, you know, just some stupid juvenile notion of being a leader. That's what I think Trump has, you know. But it's yeah, dangerous. He, like Putin said, he's a useful idiot. Yes. And it's scary. It's scary. And we have people, you know, friends of the show. We, we know who some of the people are talking about. I don't want to talk about them here because they, they're contributors. And if they were here, they would defend themselves. I'm not going to name names. But, you know, some people think, well, he's too stupid. And the people who were zealous enough about him are too stupid for us to be threatened by. And I disagree because just like I said before, and I know you like the status when I posted it a couple weeks ago, like there's nothing more dangerous and destructive than like this mass of human beings just acting in in tandem with no reflection and so i don't think trump or any of his followers are a non-threat especially when people are so quick to blame biden for gas prices and act like oh now we need this guy who tried to overthrow the government to save us from gas prices and ukraine with literally no introspection pretty dangerous to me yeah, absolutely. That's I brought that up in the chat somewhere about I remember in 2008 gas prices being four bucks a, a gallon and nobody said shit I, and, until Obama was elected. Yes, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought there was a period where Trump's gas prices were pretty high. And I remember like I wanted to try to get a reaction. I was just I I could be wrong, but I thought there was like a period like maybe one of the normal summers or something or maybe where gas prices were spiking. And I remembered like wanting to just wondering why no one was talking about it because i remember when obama was in office amongst the same people it was the biggest talking point and again it is and and it's not to downplay the current state of inflation i'm not like a moron in my bubble i know inflation is objectively really high right now like compared to anybody but these people seem to not complain about any of that unless it's advantageous to them politically yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the problem with both sides, right? The right and the left. They, they all go to extremes. I was watching a video about, uh, what's her name, from Saturday Night Live was in some hearing about book banning in schools. Mm-hmm. Which one? But you instead know? of citing, like, actual passages, for instance, in Toni Morrison's Beloved, there's this scene where these prison guards force the male prisoners to perform oral sex on them. And then if they take any skin, that's in quotes, they get beat half to death with rifle butts. There, there's no reason kids need to be reading that, man. Right. Just no. But, but they don't. Right. Go ahead. Well, that's the thing we've been getting into, right, which is this. Um, this uh, again, I think, Rick, it's um, it's another example of what we keep trying to talk about on the show is like, can we please have an objective, honest conversation about at least forget objectivity, actually, just give us the actual debate that we're even having. Like the censorship debate is so askew, like in every different direction, no matter what side we're like, we're gaslighting each other on every debate. Like there is no such thing as this. We're not doing it. Or, you know, they banned this and it was terrible, but like it's, it's we're not even having the like the, the set of facts that we're operating on to have a debate are not available to us. It's just gaslighting. So everybody's screaming over each other without having any objective 
understanding of what we're even arguing about. It's like somebody's arguing the rules of soccer against somebody arguing the rules of football, and the game that's actually being played is checkers, and no yeah. one knows. Yeah, the, the the right in that particular hearing, they're saying, you know, it's going to turn our kids gay. It's going to create all these other problems. And then on the left, they're saying, oh, it's denying history and it's trying to cover up slavery and racism. But that's neither one of those is true. Right. Neither one. Yes. Neither one. And that's why I keep pulling my hair out like because no one knows that. They just go with the party line. They're being gaslit. Yes. Yes. I know, man. When you make voices on the air, I got to think you're really mad. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm just on a roll. It was partly because like sports nonsense, which is funny with me. Like I can get so real on politics and all this academic, you know, thinking, but really I'm just mad about sports. So it just spiraled into, into me getting amped up. And then I was reading about politics all day to prepare for the cast and it just got me in this really crazy zone. And I started spewing out the voices. I brought out the voices and I had, to, I, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. The 70s stuff was hot. I was like, wow, that dude wasn't even alive then. I wasn't. I was not even a, a twinkle in my father's eye at that point. And I, I, I remember sitting in my parents' car in the gas lines, man. That's how old I am. Yeah, so you actually remember it, though. And so you actually have, like, a baseline of reference where most of the people who, you know, are, are complaining, you know, from the rooftops about it that I know are my age. And they actually don't even have – now, I'm not saying you can't be concerned if you didn't live through it, but it's just interesting that you actually did live through it. You've seen it. You know how rough it is. You know how rough it is now, yet you're not being such an alarmist. But these people, no point of reference, but are just but that's going. That's the thing. Around. My parents were sitting in a gas line with everybody else. Nobody was beating the shit out of each other. Nobody was blaming anybody. Although, you know, there is that whole Carter's the worst president ever from the right that really bothers me. Because that man's character is unimpeachable, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's still building houses to this day, last I checked, for Habitat for Humanity or whatever he's doing. So Yeah, he's like 105 and he has cancer and he's still doing shit. Right. And, you know, I, I read an article because in preparation for today, I was reading about Paul Volcker again. And I mm. uh, actually came across an article that quoted Carter. And Carter said – Look, he was the right man for the job. And even though I took a political hit because he was implementing the monetary policy he deemed necessary, it was still worth it because overall the guy got us on the right track. That's a far cry from being bitter or trying to throw Reagan under the bus. Or he just said, look, the guy did the right thing and I took a hit, but I'll live. You know, and so so I, I get what you're saying. The whole he's the worst president, which is why. As much as Reagan, we all know, we all know the substantive terrible things that happen because of Reagan's policies, but there's oh, yeah. something oh, yeah. said for some of his tact and some of his like, you know, inspirational stuff. I, I just hate how we always have to vilify or, you know, what's the word canonize every freaking political figure when they're all just po politicians and politicians are not anybody we should be aspiring to for sainthood. So I just don't get all that, you know, anyway, I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, Rick. Later man. later, man. All right, later, Rick. So that was another another call by Rick. And, you know, I get it. He's just frustrated in general with uh, how things go and, and how these sides and different things are painted into corners, you know. And, and, and I read an article 
recently, actually, or I heard it on the radio, basically just saying how, you know, Americans are extremely kind of stressed and on edge and their nerves and their physical health is taking a hit because um, things just seem so stressful now. And I think part of that and a lot of that is because of this constant partisan, you know, uh, binary pit me against you, pit you against me thing that's going on. And it's it's really causing people, I think, to feel more desperate and people to feel more. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, everything seems futile. Everything seems futile because it seems like we go from one crisis to the next. And the thing that's interesting about that is I don't know necessarily. I agree, Morph. I agree, Morph, that the COVID, and they were saying that too, COVID lockdown magnified a tenfold. And I think part of the reason for that is, and then Siren says, I feel so much better after disconnecting. It's actually been hard for me to decide to come back. I have to say, when when I, and I've done it recently, right? I, I generally go online to vent about sports, and I generally have gone online to... Um, promote my podcasts and to just kind of share funny stuff. And then what I've done is I've kind of unplugged from the arguments and debates and getting drawn into long debates over things with people because it doesn't do anything to benefit me. It doesn't help my mental health. It distracts me. It takes away from my work ethic. It takes away from my ability to create things. It takes away from my happiness. And the more that I unplug, and when I unplug, and Vree agrees, because Vree, I don't think you've been really posting either. I, I, we, me and you post on, I've seen Vree, you and I post on funny stuff, and then we kind of just back off it. And I feel so much better. Everything feels better. And so I don't blame Cy, and I understand Rick. It's like, but I, and, and what Morph said is like the pandemic, you know, kind of magnified. And I think it's true because in the pandemic, we got more isolated, didn't we? And that's one of the things I don't want to touch too much, but I loved Biden's State of the Union speech. And again, this is going to sound if, you, if you've never heard this show before and you tune into this episode, you're going to be like, wow, this guy's a liberal shill. This guy's a leftist shill, blah, blah, blah. But I encourage you, if you think that, to go and listen to some of my previous podcasts. I'd say like the last five. I don't think I've been anywhere near a liberal shill because I'm not. But. I like Biden's State of the Union because it was very, like, pragmatic. It seemed very objective. He seemed very down the line, down the middle, trying to just get past the petty, bickering nonsense. But one of the things he said was that it was time for Americans to return to the office. And I, I couldn't agree more, right? I'm back in the office already five days a week. But I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we, we lose so much social interaction, so much perspective – you know, not everything has to make financial sense. So we get in this spiral, especially over the last 20, 30 years, where everything anybody does has to be hung up on finances, right? You could say, oh, you're a terrible musician, but he's making money, right? Oh, he's terrible at this, but he made his money, right? Oh, he's really not smart, but he's rich, right? He owns a business, doesn't he? Like, enough. Just because a company saves money on rent or somebody saves money on their gas doesn't mean that being home is beneficial. 
The fact of the matter is our downtowns are dying and our small business owners. I just read an article about New York. Yeah, it's great that people who don't have to go to the office anymore and they can go out partying at the restaurant and bar every weekend. But the guy who owns the dry cleaners downtown and the guy who owns the luncheonette downtown and the lady who owns, you know, the tax preparation service downtown and everybody else who services those areas, they're struggling and that's okay. But it's not like part of life is doing things for other reasons than financial benefit. We should be social again humanly interactive again person to person interactive again because it benefits us all from a human health standpoint and being locked behind our computers and 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 observing the world through the lens of a cell phone or a social media algorithm which by the way again we've talked about this this has been you know ad nauseum explored in documentaries and other things but when you're viewing the world through social media you are not only viewing the world through some arbitrary interface but you're also viewing the world through a filter an algorithmic filter that has filtered out certain things and filtered in certain things to you so the world that you're viewing is askew the world that you're viewing through your phone or your computer is not and and even the world you're viewing through the tv because i think the media has a ton to do with people feeling like they're moving from crisis to crisis right i feel like humanity because the world is as volatile as it is we are always moving from crisis to crisis if you look for a crisis you'll find a crisis there's always some crisis because the world is an unstable treacherous place but the media makes us believe that we are trapped by crisis after crisis after crisis because the media gets clicks and the media gets views when they create crises that we have to constantly be tuning in to understand and to follow and to talk about and to share and to gripe about and to comment on right if we unplug and go outside and smell the fresh air and say hello to our neighbor and say hello to the person on the elevator and say hello to the person walking their dog And say hello to the police officer and say hello to the guy who's making subs on the corner and say hello to the guy who's unfortunately homeless and say everybody else you will see that not everybody is some caricature villain. But they are people and we are all people and we are all in the struggle together. Unplug. But part of unplugging is getting back to normal social behavior and getting back from out from behind that stupid computer screen because it's fictitious it's fabricated it's not real it's absurd and i think siren says are we not at fault for not sharing the good things i think It's human nature not to. It sounds terrible, but I don't think I think humans have some natural preoccupation with morbidity and controversy, which I don't think is our fault. Right. I think it's embedded in us because we need to pay more attention to threats. We need to pay more attention to conflict because it threatens our existence and it threatens the existence of our offspring and it threatens the existence of whatever society that we're currently living in. Right. So we need to. We need to focus on the negative, the threats, the the things that threaten to derail us. So we have a propensity to look toward 
these morbid, these depressing, these debatable, these anger-inducing things. So I think that what's going on is you can blame us, and we all try our best to rise above it, but even me, I've gone on binges for like six months where I share nothing but positivity, but it's hard to stick to because the algorithms and these social media companies, and I'm not vilifying the people who created them, they're just trying to maximize their profit. Again, understandable. But the algorithms are actually preying upon our natural propensities. That's the scary thing, right? You can only blame us so far. We are natural. We are only human, as they say. We're only derivatives of the evolution of animals. And so we have certain tendencies and certain ticks and certain triggers, and these computers are preying upon them. And when you say, how much can you blame us for not sharing the good stuff? Only so much, but you can definitely blame us for sitting behind the damn screen all the time. You can certainly blame us for wanting to, for voluntarily not wanting to go to work, to voluntarily wanting to be behind the screen. These screens are fabrications. They're manufactured. They're not existence. They're not real life. We weren't meant to sit behind them all day, every day. We weren't meant to live in isolation with only these screens as our windows to the world. That allows for us to be manipulated by the machines that we rely on. If we dispense with the machines much more than we are now and we go out on the world on our own, we're not relying on them anymore. If you go speak to your neighbor and you rely on facial cues and verbal cues and tone of voice to communicate rather than the algorithm that's filtering people, well, then we've beaten the machines. But if we insist that we can beat them at their own game, i.e. rely on them for our day-to-day life, our work life, our food shopping, our interaction, our streaming, our art, we are allowing them to manipulate us because that's a never-ending, never-winnable game. We can't beat them at their own game. We can't rely completely upon them and then expect to somehow outsmart them. It won't happen. I may sound like a crazy post-apocalyptic science fiction, you know, author, but I I really mean it. I truly mean it. Why do you think I do this show in audio with music behind me? I do this shit behind me because it's old school, because there's something to be said for audio medium, right? You don't need to see my face. You don't need to know where I'm sitting. You can hear me and you can look at your own space. I'm setting the vibe that intertwines with whatever you're looking at. That creates a vibe of its own. That's why you dig listening to me, right? Because you set up your room. You set up your drink. You set up your ambiance the way you want to welcome me and my audio into your home, into your ears. And that creates a much more vivid and varied experience than if you were staring at me in my world the whole time and there's something to be said for that and i also agree siren people are not as bold in public but that's fine too right is that's another thing like social media distorts the natural hierarchy and i don't mean that to say anything derogatory about people who aren't outspoken but it's like there's a reason why certain people are not as outspoken and there's a reason why certain people are more outspoken 
There's a reason why certain people are more vocal. There's a reason why certain people listen to others when they speak. It goes with innate cues like physicality and verbiage and tone of voice and, and, and nonverbal communication. And it is a problem that so many people mouth up and mouth off on social media that normally wouldn't be talking off social media. It skews the social dynamic. It, it, it causes part of the turmoil. If we were in the real world all the time, some of the people that were stirring up all the controversy wouldn't even talk that much. They would have their own opinions, but they'd be more influenced by the people that had the platform in the natural order to open their mouths. And see, everybody would then kind of be more at equilibrium. This idea that everybody can spout off whatever nonsense and get into it with anybody they want all the time is not reality. It's a fabricated, you know, skewed reality. That is part of the problem. It's part of the reason we're so on edge. People not only feel inundated with other people's opinions that they normally wouldn't be inundated with, they also feel immense pressure to inundate other people with their opinions. But if they didn't have social media, they would know their natural position, whether that's to be vocal or not, and they would be more at peace because they wouldn't feel the pressure to vocalize everything all the damn time. And I agree. I agree more if it's true. It's true. But that's a fact, right? That's a fact. Social media has skewed and distorted our social interaction to an extent that it's screwing up our minds. That's why people are so stressed and on edge, because the world we're living in is not the natural world that we were equipped to handle. It's all kind of funneled through this perverse universe of social media and technology and isolation and it's jarring on the human mentality there's too much information too quick there's too many opinions too quick there's too much interaction too quick whatever happened to reuniting with people you haven't seen in a long time in five year or ten year intervals at high school reunions and catching up and then not knowing where they are. Isn't there a bit of comfort? Isn't there about a bit of naturalness to the mystery? You ever watch an old Western and they go from town to town and they run into each other again whimsically and they haven't seen each other? You ever run into somebody that you haven't seen on social media? How interesting is it? How whimsical is it? How cool is it? How natural is it? We're built for that. We're not built for following everybody all the time and every facet of their life at every second. That's not what we're naturally built or inclined to do. Yet that's what we do on a daily basis. It's exhausting. It's too much. It's destroying us mentally. We are burned out mentally. We're not just burned out from our jobs. We're burned out socially from these systems and technological advances that we use and overuse too much. That's a fact. That's a fact. But with that all said, I'm going to leave you on this old school audio tangent all on my own. And I agree, Morph. But guys, this was a pleasure. 
Exactly, Siren. See, talk to her in person. It's going to be that much more fulfilling because you haven't seen her on social media. And tell me, tell us all when you come back how, how it felt because it's probably better. But guys, on that note, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to sign off with Smokey Robinson playing in the background. The playlist for this week will be available. I will post the playlist with the description of the podcast. This podcast will be available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, every major outlet you get your podcast, Stitcher. Please tune in again in two weeks uh, at 8.30 p.m. Two weeks from now on Friday, we'll be back with you. I'm looking forward to it. If you enjoyed the show and you contributed to the show, please, please, please consider sharing the link when I post it tonight. I'm going to post it on Facebook and all the various media pages and whatnot. Please consider sharing the link, letting people know what we do here, letting people know the show is worth them listening to. Share it. And hopefully we get more listeners as the weeks go on. If you tuned in live, I appreciate you egging me on and keeping the conversation going. If you're listening at home on one of the apps, continue to listen. We'll be back next week and consider joining us live next two weeks from now at 8.30 p.m. Godspeed to the Ukrainian people. Good luck to everybody out there in your respective grinds, doing your thing every day the best you can. Everybody enjoy your weekends. Enjoy your St. Paddy's Day parades. Enjoy the slow but beautiful transition from winter to spring. Don't forget to set your clocks ahead. It's coming up. And I will talk to all of you very, very, very soon. This is Larry K. signing off from downtown Newark, New Jersey. Talk to you soon.